This episode of Working Lunch is fueled by Tab from the good people of the Coca-Cola Company. Ah, Tab. It's like an old friend from the 70s. <laughs> this is where Kefauver really dates himself. Indeed. If I, I mean, if, well, hold on, hold on. It's one of the many ways in which <laughs> Kefauver really dates himself. Now, for those of you who don't know what Tab is, Kefauver, why don't you explain it to the world? It is the precursor to Diet Coke. Before anybody knew about Diet Coke. And so when you go, I'm a leader. I'm a trendsetter. So when you go to the grocery store and there's one 12-pack of Tab sitting somewhere on the soda shelf. Where exactly would that be? Where does <laughs> what? How is Tab carried anywhere? On our grocery shelf, there's usually one or two dented 12 packs of tabs stuck behind something, and the, the good people at Publix come and dust it off. And I can is that is that to the left or right of the Sanka and the TV dinners? <laughs> Where exactly does that does that fit in the shelf? Coca-Cola Company has been a great ally for this industry for a long time. We were just in an event. Our good friend Harry Price from Coca-Cola was there, working hard as usual, supporting our industry. And so, Harry, this tab's for you. Let's do the show. Can I help you? We need to talk about your flair. I think I'm going to have to go supersize. We need a political revolution. And we will make America great again. From the home office of Align Public Strategies in downtown Orlando, Florida, this is Working Lunch. Coming up on the podcast, restaurants and retailers get dragged back into the immigration conversation thanks to a new Senate bill and the rollout of the Trump administration's policy. Throw another notch in the loss column. This week's legislative scorecard has news about the push for minimum wage increases in several cities and states, including attempts at several ballot initiatives to keep a close eye on. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Sean Kelly, alongside Align Public Strategies partners, Joe Kefauver and Franklin Coley. And the brains of our D.C. operation, Joe Renzel, is ready to go in the bubble. This week, for about a 12-hour window before more breaking news about Russia flashed on the screen, entry-level employers got dragged back into a conversation they don't want to be in. This tends to happen when the president's poll numbers drop and the White House needs a distraction and something to energize the base. The administration, along with two GOP senators, announced highly controversial immigration policy. And Joe Kefauver, how do you see this playing out? Yeah, so this... Uh, legislation introduced in Congress this week, uh, again, another stab at, at, at immigration reform, if you will, but really the, the, the bill brought forth in the Senate this week drew a, a point of differentiation between high-skilled potential immigrants coming to this country and low-skilled potential immigrants. And so this bill basically gives favorable preferential treatment to, to higher-skilled workers. Please excuse this temporary interruption from the podcast as Joe Kefauver silences his phone. Thank you. How serious do we think the White House is on this? And was this just meant to be a distraction? And then this all comes back to the earlier question was, if it is just a distraction, it's the restaurant industry, it's the retail industry that winds up getting dragged into it. The White House is serious on this. Unfortunately for them... For the wrong reasons. Not not even close to a majority in Congress is serious on this, not not in the package that's being proposed. So there is this is for, this the, is, for the political reasons, not Yeah, this is political reasons. chess beating, right? And you know, I think I think what you were getting to is anytime we see Trump's poll numbers start to slip down and fall 
below a certain percentage, and we well, hit the lowest slip point. from 37 to 36. So it's a cascade from 37 to 36. But, but, but he hit his lowest point in his presidency, I think, last week. Um, and so, you know, it's a return to uh, the comfort zone. It's a return to what, what the base loves. You know, at the end of the day, as we said, entry-level employers are the loser in this conversation. It is a tremendous pivot away from comprehensive immigration reform. It's a tremendous move away from the business communities, not just the entry-level employers, but but the larger business communities' position on immigration and what they want to see out of immigration. There is no conversation in this bill about a visa system. If we're only going to allow high-skilled visas and high-skilled individuals to immigrate to the country, you know, then and we're going to get low-skilled workers into the country to do work, and we're not going to allow them to stay, then we need a guest worker program that allows them to flow in and out. And that has always been a central part of anything that the business community has looked at, totally absent from this conversation. And, and, he's, and, the, and the White House is not going to get, you know, for a lot of reasons, because they don't, um, too involved in the policy components of immigration reform. You know, the, the president himself is too exposed on his business side you know, even if he wanted to, and I don't think the Congress, after healthcare reform and what's going on, really cares what the, what the administration thinks on on policy stuff anyway. It doesn't really have an effect in the process. So, as Franklin said earlier, it's, it's about rhetoric. This is about playing playing to the base. This is about placating his supporters, and it's not a really it's not a policy issue at this point. Renzel, tell us though, you know, how does this? There's a lot of different priorities that the administration and Congress is looking at. You know, in terms of sequencing, does this make sense to be talking about immigration now? You know, I think it makes political sense for some of the folks in the Trump administration and some of the Republicans. They want to they want to come into, you know, the bubbles out for recess and they want to come into that with some positive messages to their base. Like you guys have been talking about. The concern I have is that, you know, they just had this debacle on health care. They should be laser focused on the opportunity for tax reform in the fall. There are some that are talking about it, you know, they, they've kind of reached a cohesion, you know, by getting rid of the border tax as an option from the Republican perspective. You know, they need to be laser focused on that at coming into the fall. You've got debt limit, you've got a lot of other issues that are coming down the pike that are going to be problematic politically. And it's concerning that they're switching over or attempting to switch over uh, somewhat unsuccessfully to a more political issue for their base rather than the policy stuff that is on the table and that might actually benefit uh, employers across the country. Renzel, I think that gets me to the next question, which uh, I want to kind of open it up to the three of you. How does the industry or industries in the uh, entry-level space, entry-level employer space, how do they lose again on this immigration conversation? They've lost every, and we, we so we frame it a couple different ways in this office, but you know, within the Republican Party, and you can say within the Democratic Party as well, there's always this pull between the boots and the suits, the grassroots activists, you know, the base and the extreme right or the extreme left. And then, Franklin, the, are you a boot or a suit? The more I'm not going to answer that question. Um, He's got boots and, with suits. And then, that's right. Usually it's boots and wear it with his bathing suit. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong. Snakeskin boots and a big belt buckle. Like a Christmas vacation. Own your suit. Now we got the Kid Rock Own campaign again. So it always comes back to the Kid Rock campaign. So that's right. The the moderate middle, which the business community obviously sits in that in that kind of moderate middle, 
is losing this conversation. They lose it every time it, it comes up. It seems like they lost it in a big way this last election cycle. And we've said we've said a hundred times, you know, in the last two years, it, the, the industry, the entry level employment space position on immigration used to be the sensible center, the fifty yard line of the Republican Party conversation on immigration. Right now, our sensible center, where our industry is these entry-level employers are is outside far outside the mainstream the 50-yard line of the modern Republican Party and so we are not at the dri- in the driver's seat like we were in 2012 on comprehensive immigration reform we are now part of the problem yeah. to, to guys like Cotton and Purdue that introduced this legislation last week and in fact in their in baked, week, baked into their messaging and the reason um, and the reason why they're introducing this legislation it is entitled the raise act which is, you know, the name of the Democrat legislation in minimum wage. And the reasoning behind it was immigrants are undercutting uh, native-born workers and lowering wages for those native-born workers. You know, putting aside the merits of that argument, which, you know, the Chamber of Commerce and others and studies would tell you that's not the case. Um, you know, that, that goes right at right at the entry-level employer space. And really, we have, so to answer your question, are we gonna keep losing on this issue? In this administration, in this context, in this environment, every time this issue comes up, we're gonna lose again. And until that dynamic changes, we're not going to win and we're not gonna break through and, and achieve real, meaningful, comprehensive reform that is necessary. Isn't there an operational side of this too you know you got jobs report coming out today 200,000 plus jobs being added to the economy the employment unemployment rate going down continuously you know these are all good news but at the same time that job market's so tight you have this the very same administration uh, increasing the number of, of visas for lower skilled labor coming in the country for the seasonal work you know over the summer uh, you know our, our operators out there having trouble filling positions uh, and then you've got this kind of political dynamic on top of it that it's hard to see how that helps uh, the, the, the job market for, for entry-level employers across the country. Renzel, I've got a question for you. In terms of the production out of the bubble over the next couple of weeks, the president has just started a 17-day vacation. What kind of production are we going to get out of you? What kind of production can we expect out of the federal government uh, for the rest of this, this month? Well, as I said, you know, the bubble is recess time, so we're all going to go out to the playground. We're going to have some fun, um, and I'm not uh, I'm not promising anything, guys. I'm not sure how I'm going to come to the Which table. beach are you in this morning, Renzel? You guys have GPS on me now? Is that what's happening? It's, it's the gentle crash of waves we hear in the background. Let's get over to the legislative scorecard now. These are the top items impacting business operators around the country. And I really want to kind of start with... Uh, Massachusetts and Michigan. Renzel, we'll start with you. Uh, what is the SEIU doing in Massachusetts? So, yeah, I think we've talked about this a few times. Uh, all through the legislative session, SEIU, other labor interests have been basically saying to the legislature, unless you do something on wage, on paid leave, you will see those issues at the ballot box in 2018. Um, you know, they obviously for their constituency, they want those policies in place, but they also see it as a driver uh, for votes getting to the ballot, you know, coming in 2018 for folks like Senator Warren in Massachusetts and others that they're trying to advance their ball. Um, There's some other states, Michigan also has some activity going on, but really when, you, when you're when you 
you're pushing towards ballot initiatives, you're legislating at the ballot box. These are complicated issues. You know, we saw it in Maine. We saw it with with uh, the tip wage and, and other issues where the general constituency, you know, is going to check that box and say, yeah, I want $15 an hour. But they don't take into account, you know, the business needs in terms of a long ramp up and other things that come with a legislative uh, approach. And so I think there's going to be a lot of complications as some of these labor-backed groups push these political push these issues on the ballot for political reasons. Uh, but then when it comes to actual legislation, it's going to be a challenge for operators uh, and the legislators themselves when they have to go back in and kind of subvert the people's will, uh, for lack of a better term. So there's some challenges come down the pike. Yeah, and just to get into the specifics a little bit, in Massachusetts, you're talking about a 15, it's a combo ballot initiative, $15 an hour minimum wage and paid leave. And that's, um, it's really uh, paid family leave and paid sick leave. So um, that's pretty cumbersome for employers. In Michigan, you're looking at two separate ballot initiatives right now. And there's likely to be more, but they'll probably, you know, gather around one or two, but you're talking about a $12 an hour ballot initiative and then um, uh, uh, paid sick leave ballot initiative. So I, I would say one last thing in Michigan, the group, the Restaurant Opportunity Center that is behind the minimum wage ballot initiative came very close to putting minimum wage ballot in, initiative on the ballot. I think it was in 16. They collected enough signatures, but some got... Um, thrown out and basically they fell just a couple signatures under the threshold and it got knocked off the ballot. Bottom line, they should have a database. They should be able to get in the ballot pretty easily. Uh, Sticking with wages, uh, let's switch over to Cook County, Illinois now. I know it's just uh, one county um, and not everyone cares about this, but the county as itself and what's happening with municipalities is kind of telling a story um, about what's happening within local governments. Kefauver, what's the count now in terms of people who have dropped out. Yeah, so Cook County, Illinois, the county that Chicago sits inside of, uh, one of the bluest counties in America. Uh, as I always say, Illinois is a red state with a big blue county. And last year, the, the, the Cook County government passed a $15 minimum wage bill that was countywide, but it did allow for cities within the locality, within the county to opt out. And there are 132 different cities, localities within Cook County. And as of this week, 107 of them, 80% of those localities have opted out of the minimum wage increase. This is, this is not some county in, in Iowa. This is Cook County, Illinois. And, it, and when you couple that with the studies that we've seen come out of the University of Washington study, and we'll talk later about Montgomery County, Maryland, um, Every, every activity that's out, going on out there that doesn't say Berkeley on it is kind of good news for the employer community. I mean, when, when minimum wage is coming up over and over and over again, it's, these, these large increases are being rejected. Just the, the sheer number, getting 107 municipalities to do anything, is it, that's, that's unbelievable. So um, to have them opting out is they, they clearly put a lot of – thought and time and energy and resource into this and they're obviously extremely worried about the impact. Does it tell you that they that the, as a as a locality that they looked at the numbers truthfully and what it would do to their own economies and said this doesn't work for us? Well, I was closely following the debate in all 107 
Um, so I can <laughs> I wonder what you do in there. I can say, yeah, is that what's on that whiteboard? That's right. Um, no, you would think so, right? I who, who knows how all those deliberations went, but certainly you got to think that all the conversations that have been playing out around the country impacted those those conversations in those little villages or municipalities. Well, it was a domino effect that the first counties that opted out were counties close to the county line, or I mean, sorry, were cities close to the county line. And they didn't want to be at this disadvantage with right across the line, the neighboring uh, municipalities. And so once those peripheral municipalities started opting out, then the ones peripheral to them started opting out, then the ones peripheral to them. And all of a sudden, you had this this wave going of people not wanting being at a, not not wanting to be at an economic disadvantage. All right, so those are some localities that are opting out. But Renzel, what's going on in Kansas City? They they still want fifteen dollars. Yeah, so you'll recall that uh, the state of Missouri finally, through a lot of deliberation, uh, passed a preemption bill, you know, preventing localities from raising wage or benefit issues. Uh, Kansas City uh, in Missouri is looking to buck that trend. Uh, they got an initiative that's actually on an August 8th ballot, so next week, um, to raise the city's minimum wage to $15 an hour incrementally up till 2022. Um, should it pass, uh, it would obviously be in direct conflict with the new state law, uh, which, which sets the state's wage at $7.70 an hour. Um, the city you know, hasn't really announced if it'll challenge the state's preemption law in court. I think they're waiting uh, to see how the ballot initiative works out. Um, but it's something we're watching closely because that could, you know, throw the whole uh, thing into question, much like we see we saw in St. Louis uh, currently and earlier this year. Franklin, what's the latest on paid leave in Albuquerque? So the uh, Albuquerque um, City Council had put a countermeasure on the ballot, um, and a court this week essentially knocked that off the ballot. So it's um, it's going to be an uphill battle there. Um, for those that, you know, don't want to see a paid leave mandate go into effect. But, you know, votes will be held on October 3rd, so we'll see how it goes. Another important fact on Albuquerque is that for the last two weeks, AMC has been running Breaking Bad just back-to-back. So Albuquerque is just in the news again. Hey, Renzel, uh, before things kind of quieted down in the bubble, there was some activity involving wage theft. What's this Prevention and Wage Recovery Act? Yeah, so you got uh, Democratic senators uh, and representatives from the House. They introduced the Wage Theft Prevention and Wage Recovery Act. Um, just an introduction. You know, obviously this bill's not likely to move forward. It's a position statement by Democrats, uh, but the bill would create uh, a two thousand dollar penalty for a violation of, of minimum wage laws and ten thousand dollars for each subsequent violation. So, much steeper penalties. Currently, I think they're capped at around eleven hundred dollars per violation. Um, so again, they're, they're trying to draw focus. Um, you know, they introduced their $15 wage bill a while back. Um, this is another in their platform uh, from the Democratic side to try and really get at that wealth disparity issue that a lot of folks are paying attention to. Yeah, and I think the important takeaway here is, as you said, it's not going anywhere, but this is a conversation where entry-level employers are always aware of this issue. And so uh, the more conversation that occurs around this issue, um, the more a lot of a lot of entry-level employer brands get drugged through the mud. Renzel, anything on pay equity? Yeah, a couple issues. You know, through the course of this year, you had 27 states look at legislation that included provisions preventing employers from requesting the salary history uh, information of a, of a potential candidate during the hiring process. 
um, you know, passed and failed in, in a variety of different states. I think notably uh, San Francisco, California, as we know, is, is one of our lead states on these type of issues, lead cities rather on these type of issues. Uh, they passed that, uh, that bill and the mayor signed it into law. It's effective in July 1, 2018. On the other side of that coin, you had uh, Governor Chris Christie in New Jersey veto similar legislation statewide. And in Maine, uh, the legislature actually failed to override the governor's veto. So both both in Maine and New Jersey, that legislation failed this week. Labor policy. We've got a few things going on. Franklin? Yeah, a couple things to report. Outside of the bubble, um, we have a kind of a process development in Seattle. Seattle has been very cavalier in trying to uh, find new ways to help push unionization. And so one of the things, they set up a system by which Uber and Lyft drivers, which are independent contractors, can actually unionize and bargain with Uber and Lyft. Many believe this is uh, not allowable under really state or federal law. But a Chamber of Commerce lawsuit to that effect was tossed this week. There's still a lawsuit remaining uh, by a collection of drivers. I think many expect that's going to go through and strike down the law. Also in the federal front, um, the full Senate confirmed Marvin Kaplan to the NLRB. He'll be seated in the NLRB. There's still one more seat that needs to be filled, but NLRB is going to start getting to work overturning Obama-era precedents and standards. So same thing, the EEOC. President Trump's nominated Daniel Gade, and uh, I think that's the last vacant slot for the EEOC. So um, we'll have a Republican-majority EEOC very shortly as well. All right, Keith Favre, you took Cook County earlier uh, on wages. What's happening with the sugar tax? Yeah, so we, you know, the county passed a uh, Penny Brown sugar tax uh, in the spring, and um, industry led by the Illinois Retail Merchants Association litigated, tried to get that stopped on a number of uh, legal grounds. Judge uh, put a temporary restraining order, an injunction against that uh, to, to kind of study the issue and the legalities of it. And... Um, lifted that order and so that sugar tax is now into a, in, in effect as of August 2nd. And so didn't give operators a whole lot of time to put the mechanisms in place and the compliance structures in place to, to abide by that and remit that tax. So probably some, 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 some you know, mis, misfires coming out, of the, coming out of the box on that. But, you know, it remains to be seen whether these sugar taxes will raise the revenue. I know we were talking about Philadelphia earlier today and a new study that suggests that it may not be raising the revenue they anticipated, and there's some some problems within the city of Philadelphia as a result of that. Let's get into Montgomery County, which we seem to be talking about a lot lately. Obviously, it's an important area of the country because it's so close to Washington, D.C. Joe Kefauver, it's your home territory. Ike my Leggett, home county, my home county. The uh, county commissioner Ike Leggett has asked for a study about minimum wage and its effects. All of this, the results of that study, are coming out kind of on the heels of the news that we brought up last week that there's going to be another push to increase the minimum wage. There, what have we learned? Lo and behold, because it's not a study done by Berkeley, it's actually showing some real data, and the the results are not that great for the proponents of minimum wage increases. So yet again, there's it it an economic cost, a cost of jobs, cost to opportunities that they have noted, and there's a, there's a net debit to the county. 
collectively, these reports that uh, are being deemed as credible really show a cautionary tale about it. Yeah, and they're starting to pile up, you know, and they're getting more. So these things, we've said it before. We said it after the University of Washington study. We said it after the St. Louis Federal Reserve study. We're going to say it again right now. These studies are getting a lot more eyes, and they're getting more politicized. And the Montgomery County study got tons of ink in papers, you know, around the country. It, these things are starting to really catch notice, and they're starting to pile up. But but I so. said it, I said it last week as well. We talked about Montgomery County. It's everybody in Montgomery County reads the Washington Post. It's a bedroom community of Washington D.C. So when these headlines are running in Montgomery County. Members of Congress are seeing it. Members of the administration are seeing it. The unions are seeing it. The think tanks are seeing it because it's in the hometown paper in the Washington Post. And national press outlets are seeing it. That's going to do it for this week on the podcast. Kefauver's got a cold tab cola to guzzle down. (laughs) What was was it? The Bee Gees? Was that your band of choice back in your day? Tell us some old stories. Polyester pants. Polyester bell bottoms and the... uh, God. Man, he, he probably even had hair. <laughs> I it's hard to believe. Tell us what it was like before electricity. Thanks. Well played, sir. <laughs> That's it for Working Lunch this week. We'll talk to you again soon.